0: while you're making your way back to your seats, I just want to say how grateful I am to see everybody and everybody smiling and everybody seems happy. And I love that. I love that. And uh, as a matter of fact, while they're being seated, I want to say welcome to all of our friends that are watching online today. You are part of our family too. But can I tell you, we would love to have you here in the house if ever possible. But for our family that's far away, that joins us every week, we love you, all the way from Guyana to Hawaii to, to Maryland to California, all those places. We love you, and we are thankful for you. So as a matter of fact, in the house, can you just welcome everybody that's joined us online? Man, so grateful. Hey, um, before I jump into the message today, and I wanna tell you a little bit about that but uh, before I preach it, but what I wanna share with you is some exciting news. Uh, how many have noticed over the last little while, parking's getting a little crazy out there, uh, seating sometimes is getting a little crazy and, and all that, and we had talked about starting our, se- our second service on Easter. Well, what we've decided is we're going to change that up just a little bit, and we're going to start our second service next week. So next week we start two services, so here's the quandary. What service are you going to go to? Right? So they're gonna be 830 and 1030. 830 and 1030. And here's what I want to do today. So let me just ask you in the house, I need at least a hundred people that are gonna to commit to saying, I'm gonna do eight thirty. I'm gonna do eight thirty. So if you would just raise your hand, say I need a mathematician, somebody I went to White House High School, so we can't count very good. So uh, so somebody help me keep a count. Who can count for me? Somebody I need a counter. I need a counter. Where's an usher? Where's ushers when you need them? You know, I, I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Thank you, Bobby. So let's see. Hold your hands up if you're saying I can make 830. 830? All right. Bobby, you're pretty country too. Can you count that high? Okay. see. How many are we seeing? Best, best guess. Uh, <laughs> Are we close? Okay, all right. I'm counting on you guys for 8:30, and uh, and here's what I want to tell you. Because everybody always asks, well, should I pick the 8:30 or the 10:30? Here's what I'm going to tell you: We can't say what the Holy Spirit's going to do in any particular gathering of believers. But what I can tell you is that the same sermon, the same music, all that stuff, you're getting the same stuff, you're getting the same opportunity to seek the face of the Father, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be amazing. we got more stuff to unfold for you as well, but come ready, come expecting, and I'm just so proud of this church and all of you for making faith and making your church attendance a priority, and I know there are a lot of you that are still coming in from spring break, and uh, you're watching online right now. Uh, choose a service. We love you. Oh, and I need to tell you this: the online for all of our online family, the service will be at ten thirty online. All right, so eight thirty won't be streamed. Ten thirty will be. So uh, that way you'll know when to tune in. So it'll be thirty minutes later as far as you're concerned. So anyway, here we go, guys. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? So good. So many exciting things going into multiple services again. And then also on the same token, we are in, in depth into our raising funds to build our children's facility that's about ready. I mean, we got the plans in, we got it all ready, we got our bids in, now we're raising the money to make it happen. I shared with you last week that the bid was just barely under a million dollars, and I'm going to tell you something, that's a miracle within itself. If you if you do building at all, you understand. If you've built a house and f- recently or looked at the value of homes, you can recognize that's that's Really amazing, and that's the hand of God, even in that. But we are hard at work, and we need your help. And some of you say, "Well, how can I do that?" You could go online, you can write a check, how whatever works for you. Uh, online, you can simply click that uh, tab that says Building Fund, and it goes right in to that fund to make that all happen. And you know what? We need your help. We need to make this happen because it's so important for our community and it's so important for our kids. Uh, I don't know if you've been here on a Wednesday in a while, but uh, we are cramming kids everywhere we can. There are kids, it's coming out our ears, you know, it's like all these kids are coming in and we've gotta make room for them, y'all. We gotta make room for them. That's not even counting the, the, the outreach that we wanna do in the community to help parents educate their children. There's so many aspects of that that are so important, and it is a big deal for us to get that going. So I just want to inform you that, let you know. Next week I'll give you some more information on that. But today, what I want to do is I want to jump in to this revival series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. And as I was praying this week, I, I knew what I wanted to talk about. I knew I'd already known what I felt like the Lord was putting in my heart. And uh, it never fails. Saturday, I sat down to go back over my notes and kind of just, get, you know, revamp everything. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, we're not going to do that one. And I'm like, really? And he laid this on my heart. And it's so powerfully important. <clears throat> Could you bring that water? <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. Y'all thought I was getting emotional. No, I was just getting choked. But God laid this on my heart because when we talk about revival, this is such a big deal because we live in a culture, we all know this, this this isn't a political thing. We live in a culture that's absolutely lost its mind. We're watching a moral decline like we've never seen before. We're watching so many different things that seem insane to us as believers, but yet that's what's happening around the world. And God kept bringing me back to this passage, and it's in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you would, wherever you're at, would you mind standing to your feet as we read the Word of God together? Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm just going to read two verses, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I want you to remember that. With reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your presence in the house. You've already, you're already here and you're already moving and we're so grateful. But Father, today as we spend these few moments digging into your word to grow, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you convict us of the places where we're falling short? Because we want to be better. We want to be stronger. We want to be more effective for your kingdom. And we recognize we need you so desperately. And as we sow the seed of your word into the lives of your people, today, Father, I pray it will find fertile soil in each of our lives. And God, that it would bring back a harvest of good for every single one. And Lord, I pray this finally, that when we leave our time together, we will leave better than when we came in. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You can be seated. You know, revival is something that we hear a lot about, especially currently. I mean, revival is uh, we're seeing a lot of things around the world. We're seeing awakening uh, of, of sorts that we've not seen in many, many, many years. And it's interesting to me that you have something like the Asbury uh, revival, the, all the different things that have happened all over the place. I'm just and that's just one, for sake of time. There's things happening all around the world that are just so thrilling for those that are hungry and watching, have been praying for God to pour out His Spirit. And as we watch this, the one thing that we can be sure of is watching when revival hits, the one common denominator that seems to be in everything that we do is this, is that when people are desperate, when people are hurting, when people don't know what to do, when hope is lost, they tend to start looking for answers. And when you start looking for answers, if there can be a light, if there can be a guide, if there can be someone that can point somebody in the right direction to where they can find hope, which we know is in Jesus Christ. That if we can be that light, if somebody can be there, it begins something that's thrilling. So in a time when we're seeing these revivals and then a a, a wonderful movie like whatever your opinion is of that, I loved it, so I don't really care what anybody else thinks. But anyway, that Jesus Revolution was a beautiful movie and it was powerful and it awakened something. I remember watching in, in the movie as uh, I was watching it with, uh, with John Mosbach as he was in and we were watching it. They got to the point where they were baptizing people in the ocean and it was such a beautiful thing and, and I, was, I, was, I realized I'm crying. I'm not supposed to. I'm a man in the movie with a man. I can't be doing that. You know? And, and, and so, so I looked over and said, hey, you crying? And John looks over at me and goes, are you We were both crying. But anyway, it was so moving. And the idea of all of these things happening at once is powerful and it's meaningful. But the danger is that we get caught up in a moment and realize that it's not meant for just a moment. Because for us as believers in this day, revival is more than just a movie. Revival is more than just an experience on a campus somewhere or a moment at an altar at a church. It's so much more than that. It's life-changing, and it's something that should be a lifestyle for every one of us. But there's something that we've lost in all of this. When we have religious movements that some would call Christian but we know are not, that embrace universalism and things of that nature, when we see those things, when we see the arguments that are going around of, of transgenderism, uh, the fact that they, they don't want, there's no absolute truth, all of these different things all bundled together tell you that's why America is ripe for a revival. Because it's always been in dark times when God pours out His Spirit. It's always in those moments where we realize this and you say, well, pastor, how do you know it's now? Just look at this. If you don't want to look at the dark side of things, look at this. What about just flippant Christianity? You say, well, what is that even supposed to mean? I- I've heard it say, said a bunch of different ways. I remember a book that came out years ago called Casual Christianity. Uh, I've heard it called Nominal Christianity. And basically that's where let me do as little as I can to get by. And what that looks like in the church and with people that choose Christ or are following Christ over time, what can happen is you basically get into this flow of life where the awe and reverence of the creator of the universe is brought down to human standards. Now. As I say this, this is where I want to remind you what the Word of God says, and, and I'm going to help you understand where I'm going, because it's important for you to understand this. It says, let us have grace, let us have the ability, let us do this so that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So my question, this is what God kept putting on my heart, where is the awe and reverence for God? God. And when we ask ourselves this, and I'll ask you, let me jump to the end, and then we'll jump back to the beginning. Because this is a place of repentance. If you want God to change your life, if you want God to ignite something in your life, you've got to take your eyes off of everything else, off of every other person, those people that hurt you, those people that have betrayed you, the things that you don't like. Well, I don't go to church because church people are there. Well, then you're just being stupid because people are everywhere no matter where you go. And I'm going to tell you something, if I'm going to throw in with somebody, at least I can say I can throw in with people that say, I choose to be in the house of God. We may be a lot different on a lot of different things, but at least we know who God is and who I serve, right? So I, I don't understand those concepts. Because when I came to Jesus in my adult life, what I realized is I had turned my back on the church because I didn't like the people in the church. Come on, anybody like that? Has anybody ever experienced that? It's not that I didn't like God. It's not that I didn't believe in God. It was that point in my life where I had just seen hypocrisy. I had seen all those things, and I said, I'm just sick of it. I don't want to be around those people anymore. Without understanding that when you turn that mirror or you you turn that glass into a mirror and look at yourself, that you're just right along with them. And one day, God found me and I remembered something that my father had taught me a long time ago. He said this over and over. He said, Clay, you have to find your Jesus. You need more than just my Jesus. And by that, what he meant He says, you got to start finding Jesus for yourself. And I remember digging into that and trying to understand what he meant by that and and turning it over in my heart and praying through those things. Even as I was uh, trying to find my way back to God. And I'll I'll never forget that moment of realizing I had turned my back on the gathering of believers because I had my eyes focused on who was in the house instead of whose house it was. So what we do is we begin to take Christ, we begin to take God, and we begin to take the Holy Spirit, and we begin to relegate him to just something that's just normal in our lives and it's just down here and it's equal. And it's not. We are not or never will be equal to who God is and his authority and what he does in our lives. We will never be that. So we have to realize there is something to be talked about here, and there's some realizations that have to come in all of our lives, every one of our lives, is where is that? I want to start with a key thought. I've only got two for you today. The first key thought is simply this. The fear of the Lord is not grasped by the mind but imprinted on our hearts. I taught some of these points uh, 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 last year in one of our Wednesday nights. The fear of the Lord is not grasped by the mind, but imprinted on our hearts. How can I explain that? We need to revisit this fear of God in awed reverence. We need to revisit this and understand it. And there's a scripture in Leviticus 10, verse 3, that explains it. Well, when it says, by those who come near me, I must be considered holy. I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people must be glorified. I want you to read that. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Are you regarding God as holy in every aspect of your life? In your relationships, are you regarding God as holy? In your commitment, are you regarding God as holy? In your finances, are you regarding God as holy? In your perception of who God is, are you regarding God as holy? See, Grant Ross was talking about those shirts that always said, you know, Jesus is my homie. I hate those shirts. He could say he's okay with them. I hate them. Righteously, but so. And you say, why? Because he's not your homie. He's God Almighty. We should be in awe. And not, anything that brings him down to our level is not God. And that's what I want you to see. And and part of it is to say, but yeah, but I like referring to him that way. It makes me feel better. That's all good and fine. But listen, when you relegate God down to your level, you are limiting who he's ever going to be in your life. And when I read scripture and I talk about outpouring and I begin to study through these things, what I realize is this. If he says I must be regarded as holy and before all the people I must be glorified, I got to change some things. Because I've got to get this right. And let me tell you this, the Lord never comes where he's not reverenced. You see, when you come into this house and you feel the presence of God, one of the common things that I hear so much about this church is when people come in to onto the property, when they walk through those doors, they just feel the presence of God. They just feel like, and maybe it's like, I just feel like this is home, or, or I just feel, they feel something different. Let me tell you, that's not by accident. It's because He's reverenced in this place. And you say, well, why are we spending so much time on this? Because I want to tell you that we live in a culture that has disregarded respect. Do you remember, guys? Now I know it was back in the olden days when this was okay. But I remember if I would come up to an older person that was older than me, an adult, as a, as a kid, and I would answer them and say, yeah, I can expect getting slapped by my mama and kicked by my daddy because it was yes, sir, no, sir. And you say, that's not that big of a deal. I don't want, and you know, you raise your kids how you want to raise them. I get it. I know that's difficult, but what it shows us is there's a respect Let's, t- let's take this to the house of God. I've, I've, I've determined that most people think that the house of God is a playground instead of a holy place. What I need you to understand is this. I'm not trying to beat anybody up or make people feel bad. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to make us do is really look into our hearts and ask ourselves, am I giving God, the, am I seeing God with awe and am I giving God the reverence that he deserves in my life? When we see these things, it's pretty interesting. There's, uh, in Isaiah, there's a chapter, verse 20, uh, chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29, and it's uh, verse 13. And God's, uh, you know, the prophet's dealing with these people that have just gone to sleep on their faith. And that's what happens over time for most people is if they don't stay on fire, if they don't stay in the fire, they begin to get cold, and then everything kind of drops down spiritually. And this is the story of Israel over and over and over, which is the story of us over and over and over. I mean, I could do a quick poll in the room, is this say how many of us in this room have been on fire for God at one point and then found ourselves at another point in our lives where we're barely hanging on? I mean, I'd say almost every one of us in this room who've been saved for more than 30 minutes. You know, I'm just telling you, this is a part of who we are. But Isaiah 29, 13, "...therefore the Lord said, "...inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor Me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from Me, and their fear toward Me is taught by the commandment of men." Here's why I think this is so important. So we, we see all this. It's like, oh, yes, we love you, Lord. We're going to make sure we're at church. Oh, we're going to drop something in the offer plate when it comes by. We're gonna, but we don't need to talk about religion through the week. We don't need to live it every day. Oh, oh, well, wait a minute. Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me. And I know, I know y'all, we like to laugh in this house, we like to have fun, and we'll laugh some, but this is heavy. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. In other words, how we relate to God and how we see God is dictated by how the world tells us to see it. We live in a world, parents, if you haven't realized this, then you need to wake up. That you've got an entire world and culture that's trying to teach your kids that God is not the authority, that God is a fairy tale, that God is not that important in your life and you can believe whatever you want to believe and do whatever you want to as long as it feels good and you're not hurting anybody, what harm is it? That's okay. And I'm here to tell you something, if you're not fighting that battle every day to make sure that your kids have the truth of what the Word of God says, then you are doing damage spiritually to your kids. Because we're not showing them what awe and reverence is. That's why people who are living in adultery can sit inside of a church auditorium in a spirit-filled service and never feel anything. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're here and you're living that adulterous life, then I ask you, I beg you to drop that sin down and turn your back on that and say, God, forgive me. I believe you. I know who you are. And I'm not going to throw my life away and sin against another person as well as myself in order to fulfill the needs of my flesh instead of giving you the awe and reverence that you need and require. So for all the visitors in the house, you picked a good one. (laughs) I thought he was a nice guy. Anyway, okay. So that's the Old Testament, and they're dealing with this, and we see that word in Hebrew, the yare, to fear, to respect, to show reverence. That's what that word fear means in that respect. And then we can go all the way to the New Testament in the book of Romans. We can go to the book of Romans in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, and I'm going to focus on one, but... For since the creation of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Sounds very common today, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. I think what's important for us to see in this is that's what happens, and that's what man wants to do. The enemy's plan is to get you to lower your standard. To say, well, you know what? I, I'm not sure that that's what the Bible meant. Can I tell you something? Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of gray area in the Word of God. There's a lot of places we have to walk out with discernment, but there's some, and generally it's all the things that everybody says, oh, I don't know about that. It's pretty black and white. And I look at these things and I realize this oh, so what we need to make sure is that these people, although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God. In other words, I know of God. Oh, I've I've, I've heard of Jesus. I go to church every now and then. I think of God every now and then, you know, and when I'm really sick or when something's really bad and I need to cry out to him. We know of God, but we don't worship him as God. You say, well, what does that mean? It simply means this, is that God is God, almighty The God that loved you so much that He knew your life before you were ever born. He knew the struggles that you would fight. He knew that you would get lost on your own. That there was no way for you to find salvation without His interaction. And He sent His Son, we all know this, He sent His Son to die for your sins The big fancy word is for the propitiation. And all I'm telling you is today, he says, he gave his son to die for your sins that you could have eternal life. And when I look at that, you think, wow, even that by itself should be enough that we treat God with the respect that he deserves. But he didn't stop there. He not only gave his son, he raised his son back up and as he was ascending to heaven, his son released the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to walk with us, to help us along the way, to empower us, to do what we can't do on our own, to survive these situations. He loved us so much, he's given us this. And we're not going to treat him as God? You see, I've, I've been and I know I, I was afraid this was going to happen because I'll start just talking instead of going for my notes. I'm trying to be careful because here's, here's the problem that I see. is like I've been in services. I've been in environments, not just services, but where people have been prayed for and they were healed miraculously. And I'm not talking about something you can't see. I'm talking about a creative miracle in front of my eyes. I have seen drug addicts who are set free from bondage and were never, ever the same. I have seen marriages that were off track, and God touched, and I watched families change in the name of Jesus, and I'm gonna tell you, the one common denominator was when we see God coming into our situation, we see God through those eyes. I'm desperate, I need God to change something. I need a God that's not my equal, I need a God who's God. And the problem is, when we relegate God down to our side, when, down to our level, and when all hell breaks loose in your life, and it will, and when it does, where are you going to turn? To your equal? We need God to be elevated to the place where He should be elevated, and that's above all things, right? I mean, and you say, "Well, this." I just want you to grab a hold of this to understand, and I think it's important in verse twenty-one. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Every time I start praying, my first part of my prayer is almost always, God, I am so grateful that you would even bother with me. Because I I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you this, I didn't deserve God dragging me up out of what I was in. I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it. He loved me enough that he took me right where I was and was good enough to me that he didn't leave me like I was, but made me better along the way and taught me and opened doors for me. And as long as I obeyed him, as long as I lived my life the way he dictated, he opened doors that no man could open and no man could shut. That's the God we serve. Sometimes we forget we need that awe and respect. And I want to tell you, when we talk about fear, I know we say fear In in that terminology, I want you to understand, fear is a positive, not a negative. And you say, well, I don't understand that because, well, basically, there's the spirit of fear, and there's the fear of God. The spirit of fear is what the enemy uses. God is not a, he does not bring that fear. When we talk about fear of God, it's an awe and reverence of God. It's a respecting God for who he is. You know, (laughs) I... You know, Grant Ross, we were, we were raised very much the same in a lot of, a lot of ways. We had uh, very bold fathers in our lives. He still does. He's blessed to still have his father. And I can tell you this. The one thing that I was not going to do was disrespect my father, especially in front of somebody. Because, Grant Ross, what would happen if you did that? Wake up next week. It's about right. See, because we grew up in the time when they had something called a woodshed. Y'all, y'all country people, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm pretty sure there wasn't no wood in there. And my dad, but what was hanging on that wall was my, my dad always said, here's your grandpa's old leather belt that he whipped me with, and this is what I'm going to whip you with. So we learned real quick, I'm not going to disrespect God. I mean, I'm not going to disrespect my dad. So how is it that we disrespect God? You say, how do I disrespect God? When we don't see him with the awe that we should. When we don't reverence him. Have you ever noticed in modern church that, and maybe it's different in other places, but every church I've ever visited and spoke in, all of a sudden, here's one thing that was always a commonality. As soon as the pastor starts saying, okay, we're going to bow our head and close our eyes for the altar call. There's like a mad dash to the drive. I was like, everybody's feeling, I'm like going, are you kidding me? Really? In the most holiest of moments, we're gonna do, we wanna beat somebody else to the restaurant or make sure we get in the first of the line to get out of the church parking lot. And I'm not, I'm just using this as an illustration, but think about it for a moment. If God's present in this room, why do we want to rush away? If we have a correct awe, I'm going to tell you something, if we really believe that Jesus was here in person, you know what I'm saying? If he was here in person, none of us would leave. If Jesus was up here in a robe and he's standing here, you'd all be going, I ain't going nowhere. But the problem is he really is here. So, I think the point that I want to make through this is just coming to the place where we understand what we're talking about. And let me take you in to just a quick story in uh, the book of uh, Haggai. And for sake of, tell, I just want to tell you the story. In Haggai's time, what happened is they had turned away from God. They got laps day school. They got casual with their faith, so to speak. And there were issues scattered through their life. And there's three of the issues I just want to share with you because I think it may speak something to your life as well. The first thing they did was they tried to reduce God to human standards. We've already talked about that. And we do that inadvertently, I believe. I don't believe anybody goes into it said, you know what, God's not that great. I'm just going to bring Him down here. I don't think it happens. I think over time, we begin to get so busy with everything and it just kind of slowly comes to that place. And you know what really happens after that? It slowly drops even further to where God doesn't matter as much as he used to. But they tried to reduce God to human standards. Number two, they made no effort to glorify God. I'm going to tell you something. I always laugh. When we come together as believers, I, I, I see people all the time, well, I would worship God if they would play songs I like. You know, the Holy Spirit would just fall in the house if they'd do an old hymn every now and then. And you know what? I've always told people this. It's like, you know what? I have my favorite songs too. I'm old. There's songs that some of these kids have never heard of. We could, you know, guys, we could start putting out records with some of our old songs, and these kids would go, "Those are cool new songs." But what I also know is this is that what song is played should not dictate how or how intensely I worship God. I should be able to get up here with a, a banjo. Well, maybe not a banjo. You know, get up here with a ukulele. Well, eh, not really. Whatever. But say, who cares? But if we're gathering in the name of God, what does it matter? Because we need to worship Him. And this is what the Israel was, Israel was doing at the time. They made no effort to glorify God. And number three, they lived selfishly. Does that sound common? Selfishly. Play the song I want. Have the service times when I want them. Do it this way. Do it that way. That's what I want. And then we just look at our world. We live in such a narcissistic world right now that it's selfie world instead of the other people world. Do y'all remember back years ago when we were a kid, if people took pictures of themselves, we thought they were weird. y'all remember that? It's just funny. I'm not, kids, I mean, I know it's not your fault. But I look at this, it's, it's crazy to me. It's like we we see these things and we develop a selfish culture and a selfish thing. We live this way. And I think it's important for us to realize this is where they were. So let me give you your last key thought. Here they were, and this is what I want you to learn. When you honor God with your lips but not your life, you're in danger of having your heart hardened to the things that displease God. This is what happened to them. But I love what happens next. In Haggai chapter 12, or hey, I'm sorry, Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, let me just read it real fast, because here's the key. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shethiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, which would have been the words of God, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of God of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shethiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What is the point in that scripture that I want to draw out for you? There were three things. They obeyed God. They realized where they were and what was wrong. We've turned our face on God, we've not given God the awe and reverence that He deserves. And God says what? When we find ourselves away from God, what is our response? We need to repent. We need to repent, we need to come back, so we need to obey. And I love this, the second thing is they feared and reverenced God. Once again they realized how much they needed Him. To revere is to show deferential honor. A deferential honor to something. And when they did that, the word that God gave to the prophet was this, I am with you. In the midst of trouble, I'm with you. And the times that you don't understand what's going on, I'm with you. This is the importance of what we're talking about. And then I love the last part was, when you did these things, when they obeyed God, when they feared and reverenced God, the Word says that the Lord stirred up the people. He stirred up the hearts of the people, and that's what the world needs right now, is churches who are stirred up by the Lord. Not just one or two, but all. That's what the Word says when they did this. All of them were stirred up for God. God. So my question for you simply comes to this, are you stirred or are you just shaken? Some of you got the analogy, a bunch of sinners. No, I, but what I want you to see is this, is yes, this world is shaken, and the Bible talks about this, all that's shaken is going to be shaken. That's what's going on in our world right now. My question, have you been shaken, but you've not allowed God to stir you up? Listen, we don't live in a time where we can afford to sit back and live like we've always lived. This is a day that we need to make sure that we're living the way God intends for us to live. I love this. In the New Testament... I love when these things were applied, you see the stu- it's a formula, you see all through the word. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the last verse I'll share with you, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord. And walking in the reverence of the Lord. I just want you to grab this in your heart. They were walking with the awe of the Lord in their hearts. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. What if the people that you love so much that you know need Jesus, the one thing that you need to do to help them experience salvation or restoration is for you to put God back where He needs to be in your life? Because it says here, when they were walking in the fear of the Lord, it says they were multiplied that's what God wants to do. He wants to multiply our lives. What is the fear of God? It's an attitude of deep respect and a response of reverence and wonder. Reverence and wonder. If we will but obey and reverence the Lord. Wow. doesn't sound like rocket science, does it? But let me ask you a question. How many of you are ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How many of you are saying, God, I I, I desire this, I know we need it, our world needs it? Then what do we do? What's the step? We obey God, we reverence God, and He'll stir up our spirits. We respect God for who he is, and I'm going to tell you something, this is a big deal. How can we have revival if we've not treated the things that God says is holy? If we've treated them as they're not holy. If we've casually came into the house of God, if we're casual about how we spend our time with God, if we're casual about those things, do we really think that pleases God? Is it enough? I don't know about you, I don't want standard, nominal, casual Christianity. I want the fire of God to be stirred up inside of me, that when people around the world, people that I run into at Walmart, or Target, or Publix, or Kroger, or I'm trying to make sure we cross all the boards there, uh, or Aldi, or uh, what all all those things. Wherever I see people, I want the fire of God to be stirred up in me strong enough that I, God can use me to speak to them, to touch them, to pray over them, to the point that if you want to see miracles, signs and wonders, the church isn't the only place where we should be seeing signs and wonders and miracles. You want to see a revival? You let somebody get healed in the middle of all these, right? That'd be kind of fun, right? (laughs) But I'm just saying, God will stir us up. And here's what I want to do to close. I want you all just to bow your head. And I need to ask you some questions. If you've treated what God calls holy as common, if you've lived with an irreverent attitude toward the things of God. Today if you've been convicted by what we're talking about today in any way, are you ready to repent and ask the Lord to stir you up? Those are powerful questions. And revival starts when we make the choice. So here's what I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in this room. If that's you, and you say, Pastor, I need to repent of those things. I need to repent of those things. I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold today. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm just going to ask you to stand up where you are and say, I need to restore these things. That's me. That's you to stand up where you are and say, Pastor, that's me, I need to repent. I'm not simply talking to repent of, of your sin. I'm talking about of not reverencing the things that God says is holy as holy. Is that you? Yeah, they're standing. Who else? Yeah. Yeah. Now, while they're standing, I'm gonna ask you another question. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, If you're here today and you say, Pastor, here's the deal. I know that I'm not right with God. I know. I know that I know that there are things in my life that don't honor God, and I need to get right with Him today. Today's my day. If that's you, I want you to stand up as well. I'm tired of living this way. I'm ready to make it right. If that's you, I want you to stand too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Now I'm going to ask everybody else in the building. I want you to stand. Because the one thing I will always tell you, none of us stand alone. None of us. We're part of the family of God and you are never alone. And just because you stumble or you fall, you're not alone unless you choose to be. But today, I'm speaking over you that stood up first. I'm speaking over you right now that God is already, He's already doing it. But that stirring is coming. That stirring is happening even now. And I'm praying right now, I'm just declaring right now, that as you even go home today, the things that you thought were unimportant are those things. God's going to bring those to your mind. He's going to bring those in, and He's going to put them on the right places in your life. And for those that you stood and said, I need to make my heart right with God today. I need to choose Jesus. That's amazing. And the one thing I'll tell you is this tell somebody. Don't hold it to yourself because you weren't meant to walk alone. We got you. You say, Who am I supposed to tell? There's people all over the place. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna ask our ushers and our altar workers, I mean, sorry, our altar workers and our pastors that are available to join me in the front. And if you're here right now and you say, who am I supposed to tell? You've got these folks to tell. There's people out there to tell. You could tell anybody in this building because we've all been where you are and we are cheering for you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna say a prayer together right now all across this building. So could we just bow our heads and close our eyes? and I want to say this, that this prayer is not what saves you. This is a continuation of what God's Word says. Because the fact that God drew you was the starting place. The place where you recognized, I need to change some things. That was that place. We're confirming it together as a family. So there's a simple prayer that we're going to pray together. Dear Jesus... I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior right now. I repent of my sin and I turn away from my past. Today I'm forgiven and I'm a new creation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, man, can you get...